want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined by my wonderful new co-host, Sean Coletti of Sound Insight TV Overminded in several other places. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being our, our co-host for the for the duration. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, at the end of the summer, but for now, we're not really worrying about that because there's too much TV to talk about. Way too much TV to worry about little things like that. <laughs> well, uh, we'll be talking with Dan Toland of Earth2.net uh, at the end of the podcast, uh, talking MASH, which was so much fun. Uh, but uh, let's, let's we got to just dive right in because there's, there's too much TV. So we heard from several of you guys this week. Carl wrote in and said, uh, Kate and Mystery House, so Kate and Sean. I wonder how many people think Fargo is actually a true story, especially if they never saw the movie. I also wonder if it would ruin it for some if they found out it wasn't. I am loving the first two episodes. I can't wait to see where it goes next. Um, he also wrote about uh, the Amazon deal, saying, uh, with news of the Amazon deal with HBO, I was wondering which series would be a hit if it aired for the first time in the present day. I think so many people have not discovered The Wire, and I think it might find a bigger audience. It will be interesting to see what people latch onto from the back catalog. And he also said, I will miss Simon, but I'm looking forward to the next phase of the televerse uh so thank you so much carl for writing in what do you what do you think sean what uh what show would catch on more now than it did when it originally aired and uh how important is that true story element to to fargo fargo's not a true story no fargo's not a true story my whole life is just so different now i think any of the genre shows would really benefit from that um i know it's dipping kind of closer to the internet age, but I think the X-Files would have been even more popular than it already was. Um, like, that would be as big as Lost, if not bigger. So, okay. that would probably be my answer. Yeah, I have to think about it. I, you know, I, just, I don't think The Wire would be big now. I mean, maybe more. Maybe more like AMC level ratings, but I mean, you gotta keep in mind that all the prestige dramas that we love so much, like, nobody watches them. They get a couple million viewers and that's about it. I think three episodes of Mad Men ever have, like, breached three million? Yeah, it's it's because we all talk about them so much, because there's so much to unpack about each of these episodes, we, we feel like everybody talks about them, and so we feel like everybody watches them, but really, it's just a self-selecting group of us who just love this stuff. Uh, so I don't know if The Wire would do better now. I do know that more people should watch it because it's one of those few shows that everybody says is amazing and then you watch it and go, how is this actually somehow underrated? That's entirely true, yeah. I mean, you always hear about The Wire and The Sopranos being kicked around and I think that both of those deserve most, if not all, of the credit that they get. Yeah. Oh, we talked with a bunch of you guys about other topics as well. Uh, talked with Bob, Ken, Ricky, and Chris about Game of Thrones. Of course, the Sound on Game of Thrones podcast should already be up in your Televerse feed if you want more in-depth uh, discussion of, of that episode. We'll be talking about it a little later in the podcast as well. Talked about uh, Hannibal with Julius, Noel, Shaz, uh, Carl, and Mario. And of course, for those who don't know, Sean and I also have a uh, Hannibal podcast. This is our design that you all should listen to. 
It's terrible. Don't listen to it. <laughs> I talked a little Adventure Time with Noel, Americans with Zach, and uh, uh, about Orphan Black. Mario says that instead of tidy whities Donnie wore tacky blackies, and I love that. That's wonderful. Uh, Echo and Eric and I also talked a little bit about Julian Richings popping up, but we'll we'll get into that later in the podcast as well. Uh, talked about Fargo and Billy Bob Thornton's performance with Mario, as well as uh, talked with a bunch of people about Veep, because I am now officially covering Veep over at the AV Club, so y'all should go read my reviews there. Uh, we'll talk about another hilarious episode of Veep later in the podcast, but uh, let's get into, let's just dive right in with our week in comedy so we'll take a break and we'll come back with that right after this once we've all said goodbye Comedy. I'm going to preview the the new season of Louie. We're going to talk a little last week tonight with John Oliver, which had its pilot. Bad Teacher had its pilot as well. We had the two part finale of Parks and Rec. Uh, then Inside Amy Schumer, Bob's Burgers, Veep, Silicon Valley, and a little discussion of Moonboy season two. There's way too much comedy right now. There's way too much TV. I always think like as soon as the network stuff is winding down, it'll just be like a breath of fresh air. But it's not. There's no. too much stuff. There's, there's too much stuff. It's a good it's a good problem to have. And part of that good problem is is Louie, which is coming back for its long-awaited fourth season. Of course, we missed it last year, and it's back here we, for the next, I want to say, seven, six, seven weeks, and they'll be airing two episodes every week. Uh, I've seen the first four, so I've seen the first two weeks' worth of episodes, and shock and astonishment, they're great. Uh, it, the show is really comes right back full steam there there's more comedy uh, more stand up i should say which is something that i was missing last season last season was more experimental and um and that was great but i also was definitely missing that comedic voice from the stand up so it's nice to see that back uh there are some eventful uh goings on in those first four episodes uh but i, I don't want to get into that instead just focus on the you know, some really great stuff with the daughters again, some really great stuff with uh, guest stars that people will recognize and appreciate. And uh, I just I also have to mention being myself, there's it's just so wonderful to have Louie back, even just for its scoring, the fantastic scoring we were commenting on last season uh, that everybody's commenting on is, is back this this time as well. And uh, I, I look forward to some of the conversation that will undoubtedly take place around a couple of the episodes, but but yeah, the first four of the season are are off to an excellent start, and I look forward to talking about them starting next week. I will also be reviewing Louie over at Sound on Sight week to week, so we'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about it there. I'll mention quickly last week tonight with John Oliver, which uh, started off its season. It had its pilot this week on HBO. It, it feels very similar in tone 
to the Daily Show. But what I appreciated about it is that each of the segments, the things that they cover, they cover for a longer stretch. They cover fewer to- fewer topics, but they really get more in depth with it. And at least based on this pilot, we may actually be getting news stories that other shows uh, aren't covering that they should. So, for example, we get an extended seri- uh, sequence on the Indian election, which is a really big deal. Uh, and yet it's not being discussed on, you know, little networks like CNN or Fox uh, News or MSNBC. So it's if that's what the function of the show was going to be, or at least a significant portion of it, I'm very excited. John Oliver uh, is, is very natural in this role, as we already know from his stint hosting The Daily Show this past uh, last year's summer. Uh, but uh, but no, it, it's it's a lot of fun, and I'm I'm very encouraged by the pilot. So we'll see how things shake out over the course of the season as they find their groove. But but I'm 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 enthusiastic about it. Are you, is this one that you're going to catch up with, or is it not really your your comedic bag? Um, I've been off and on with Daily Show and Colbert Report and a lot of the other talk shows. So I catch them when I can. Um, if somebody in the house is watching Bill Maher, I'll, I'll catch that as well. But none of them have ever been something that I've watched regularly. So I'll probably just be dropping in and checking in here and there. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about the other pilot this week, which is bad teacher. Uh, Oh, bad teacher. CBS just has all these comedic gems for me. I'm curious your thoughts on this one, but, uh, as much as I saw, you know, posters for the film bad teacher and thought, I can't wait for the TV adaptation of this cinematic masterpiece. I, I actually am really glad to see some of this cast get a regular gig, most specifically Ryan Hansen, who I've been a, a fan of since Veronica Mars. He, of course, is Dick Casablanca from Veronica Mars. Uh, th- there are way worse out there, way worse comedy pilots this year. Uh, it's not particularly memorable. I won't be tuning back in. But I thought it was a diverting 20 minutes. Yeah, it, it definitely isn't the worst. And you can apply that to not the worst on CBS as well in this season. Like we are men tanked really hard after a couple episodes and friends with better lives was not good at all. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I wonder though, like if when it comes down to the network sitcoms, if star power like really has an effect because I think about the crazy ones, which I like quite a bit, but that has a lot to do with the cast and how talented they are and familiar I am with them. And I don't know, would Bad Teacher have landed better with me had it had that star-studded cast? I'm not sure. But as is, yeah, it's it's forgettable, and it's not necessarily worth tuning in. I, I didn't see the film, so I don't know kind of which of these characters are, are being faithfully adapted or not. But um, it wasn't grating. There, I think there were a couple kind of cringy moments, but, uh, but other than that, I thought that it was pretty benign. Yes, the thing. It could have been so much worse. And it's yeah. sad how excited I am that it wasn't. Uh, I definitely won't be tuning back in, though. Uh, we also had this week the two part finale of Parks and Rec moving up. And this is what I was at Ebert Fest all, all week, I should, I should mention, which is why I was not on Twitter if you were trying to get a hold of me. Uh, talk about anything other than film. So so I had heard much buzz about this finale. Luckily, I didn't have the last couple of minutes spoiled for me, but I had heard so much buzz about this finale before I watched it. I was very excited to see it, for the most part, live up to that. Uh, what did you think of this finale, and specifically its game-changing final moments? Fantastic, yeah. This has been kind of an up-and-down season for Parks, and I think ever since uh, that Leslie got her position at the end of season four, they've been 
at times struggling for material. But I really like this finale. Uh, not as much as I like the, the London season premiere, but the shakeup, I think, is really interesting. We saw this season of Archer do something new and exciting. And even though it wasn't necessarily the best season of Archer, I admired what Adam Reed did with that. And in the same way, I think that um, that Michael Schur is challenging himself by by doing this jump and trying to come up with another year of stories for these characters. It, it seemed like the right choice anyway, just because they've kind of reached their potential in terms of where they are at right now. So although I, I hope that we don't like gloss over the whole divorce between uh, April and Andy. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that. Uh yeah, we'll see. We'll see where they pick up. But what this does, besides uh, give them new vitality with of storylines where you know where we can draw from stuff that we we haven't seen before, and let them you know drop in on some of the characters. Hey, maybe Donna is married to Kiki Michael Key. We don't know. Uh, there, there's a lot that could uh, could have happened in those three years. But more specifically, what that allows us to do is skip over the Leslie is pregnant storyline. Skip over the triplets are in the terrible two storyline and and also fast forward to ron swanson has teenage daughters now yeah i i also hope though that we get at least one more appearance from john ham because that was fantastic oh that was such a fun fun thing to do i, I love this notion of john ham as the as larry or no he's terry now isn't he yeah he's Larry, Jerry, Gary, Terry. Ah, oh, wonderful. Uh, the, the rest of the finale I also really liked. I I really liked that they set up um, Leslie to 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 have this new job. So they ha- they're having their cake and eating it too. And well, I tip my hat off to the writers for finding a way to make that work of having her still be on the show but in this new capacity. And uh, I always appreciate the Cones of Dunshire when that comes back up. So I want to believe they're going to some sort of Combs of Dunshire based thing with, uh, with with Ben's tux. Any predictions on that? No, I'm more interested to to discuss which uh, which game is more complicated: the Combs of Dunshire or Gale's? What was it? Gale's wins. <laughs> Gale Force wins. <laughs> Gale Force wins. Yeah, that was a, a nice coincidence for this week. Well, and let's uh, let's just talk right about Bob's Burgers then. Uh, what did you think of Gale Force wins and the kids run away? You mentioned last week on the podcast that, that Bob's Burgers seems to be back on track, and I would agree. This is at least three or four in a row that have really hit the mark, and it was another hijinks one. I absolutely loved the last couple minutes where everybody is really contributing to make life a little bit easier for Louise. Um, and just as a reminder that she's still a kid and has to deal with these types of things. I think that uh, I had read an AV Club article one time talking about Tina Belcher and how kind of she's the the center of the family, and I think that more often than not, that's true. So when the family's in crisis, it's usually because there's a problem with Tina, but it was really great to see the family struggle because of Luis struggling, and to kind of work together to overcome that. Yeah, that was uh, that was very, very fun, and uh, I also appreciated the little shout-out there with Dr. Yavis. <laughs> didn't inconvenience anyone. It was, you know, a nice little moment. But uh, yeah, I, I, and again, we we get sort of a song, but it's the the poetry. So I appreciate <laughs> that they backed off of some of that stuff and really allowed it to only come up when it is particularly effective. And I think it was particularly effective this week. Uh, yeah, just you know, I, I I enjoy when they let 
you know, they really let the the kids feel like kids, and this was an excellent example of that. Uh, and also just them having, knowing the solution, knowing the answer was ice cream, but not wanting to have to go there. It was great. Yeah, and uh, just seeing Teddy uh, go onto the stakeout with uh, with Bob and Linda and then just force them to keep moving up the uh, the seat a little bit for his convenience. Yeah, there were, there were great little moments for pretty much every character in the episode. Let's move on to our next show, Inside Amy Schumer, Boner Doctor. What, what did you think? And what have you thought of the season so far? Uh, it's It's been solid. I think that this is an improvement on the first season. Uh, with this episode in particular, I actually appreciated how the stand-up, even though it wasn't as funny as some of the other ones have been, it, it was a through line. So it was kind of the, the same bit, just expanded upon as the episode went on. I'm not a big fan of Inside Amy Schumer in general. I, I like it well enough, but uh, but it's getting there, you know I, I'm missing Broad City already, even though it's only been a few weeks, um, but th- this is definitely a good replacement, and I think that Comedy Central has really done well in terms of building their brand Yeah, I, I unfortunately I watched this one early, I watched it right before uh, I left for Ebert Fest, and so that whole week is very much a blur, I remember very little of what actually aired this week uh, other than I remember enjoying it. Uh, the episode title is Boner Doctor. I remember that sketch was particularly effective. Um, and there were some other there were some other sketches in there as well. But again, just based on the circumstances of my week, I, I'm not remembering a lot of it. Uh, whereas I still remember pretty much everything that went down last week. So I'm very much on board with Amy Schumer. I'm loving this season. Uh, but this was not the most memorable of episodes. I would agree with that, yeah. Let's move on to Veep, uh, Clovis. My review for this is up at the AV Club if you would like uh, more in-depth discussion of it. I thought it was hilarious. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad to be reviewing this show because there's so many, you know, there's a lot of different shows out there. I, re- I remember when I was starting Parenthood this season at Sound on Sight, I was so excited to be reviewing Parenthood. It was going to be great. And then about halfway through the season, I really regretted that decision uh i am not anticipating that with veep because it's been a very consistent season what did you think of uh this episode and the opening lines from selena i love silicon valley oh yeah perfect i I don't know if they knew that going in but that was very timely um everything about jonah in this episode everything that happens on uh ryantology is just so good like it's so crappy and I don't know anything about putting together stuff like that but I feel like I can do a better job but that was absolutely hilarious and anytime that the Selena interacts with the public it's it's destined for greatness and Gary in the bag Gary and his arm and the the crew thinking that the, the masseuse was the masseur was somebody else solid material yeah oh there's so much to enjoy I, Craig Craig uh. yeah actually I, I really appreciate it appreciate that because I, I tend to call Craig's Craig's and I <laughs> uh, I poke people who don't Oh, see, so you're you're the guy. You're the guy who yeah. knows the difference. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh yeah, as for the rest of rest of it, I mean I just there was a lot of really great physical comedy. I, I laughed heartily when Jonah threw his phone away. Uh that was delightful to me. But uh what I keep coming back to is the way that this kind of progresses the different arcs. And I look forward to the continuing saga of Amy versus Dan, but right now it seems obvious that neither one of them should have the job. Yeah. And that probably is the direction that they're going to go. They keep 
both messing up in their own ways. Not not that that's new. I think everybody on on the Veep crew does to some extent. But uh, that that seems like the the route that will happen, and that we'll get somebody else coming in. Any other thoughts on uh, Veep, or, so, or shall we move on to Silicon Valley? We can move on. Okay, Silicon Valley fiduciary duties. We get the establishment of the board. A lot of jobs and Wozniak conversation this week. How's this? Uh, how's this episode working for you? And how's the season working for you so far? Uh, the season's been very good. I think it's a good pairing with Veep, just like Looking was a good pairing with Girls. Um, it's not really been much of a laugh out loud show for me thus far, but I think that the story is there and that the characters are getting there. Uh, and that's not to say that the, it's not funny. The, the material does hit pretty well. I think that uh, who's the guy who's big head, who's now working or still working with Huli? Uh, it's just the people that he meet who have, in this episode who have been cast off and are being paid to do nothing. I thought that that was a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, this episode, though, for me, was all about Zach Woods. Uh, I've really enjoyed his character and uh, the way that that's come together. I I get the sense that this episode is supposed to make us be concerned about the relationship of uh, of our Jobs and Wozniak, whose the character names I'm not remembering right now. How sad is that? I don't really care whether or not they're still friends in five years and is running this company going to tear them apart. I, I don't care. I just want it to be funny. And so for me, I'm I'm watching this for Zach Woods and Camille Nanjiani and Martin Starr. Though These are the characters that I actually am more invested in and care more about, as well as, of course, Christopher Evan Welch, who continues to be fantastic in, in his role. But uh, hopefully the next couple episodes are, are going to... Or, or the rest of the season will focus more on, on just making me laugh and less on trying to get me to care about the relationships of the, those couple main characters. Yeah, they've introduced that idea that, you know, if he's one of the board members, you could possibly buy his shares out and uh, get him out of the company, which, I, I don't know, it, it didn't seem like an interesting aspect to it. Like you said, it, it's more character-based. And uh, if, if the next two episodes were just Peter looking at uh, Burger King products, that would be fine. I would be a-okay with that. Uh, let's talk about our, our last show of the week, which is Moon Boy, which had season two release on Hulu. Of course, the season two, and I believe three, may have already aired uh, in the UK, but we're just getting season two over here. This I only had a chance to watch the first episode of the season. There are six episodes. You've seen the first three. Uh, what did you think about uh, the season so far, and, uh, and how does it relate to season one for you? Uh, seeing Martin go into secondary school is thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, the, the dynamics that he has with some of the older characters and his sisters as well has just gotten better. Uh, I think that more people ought to watch this, not just because it's a, a good show, but it's a different brand of comedy, obviously, because it comes imported. And Chris O'Dowd is fantastic in this role. And a really interesting role, actually. This is a good pairing with something like Wilfred, if anybody likes that. Obviously much less dark, but uh, but just as, I guess, insightful in terms of using an imaginary character or a character that only one person can see to have some kind of interesting commentary on, on how that affects the psyche, I guess, and the relationships that that character has with other people. One of the things that I did notice in the episode that I watched, the first episode of the season, is that the uh, the Chris Dodd character, he is 
he has shifted somewhat, at least in this episode, the first episode, where in the first season, no matter what Martin said, it was a great idea and they should definitely do it. And they could, couldn't wait to, to, you know, oh, make sense. And then in this episode, we get a somewhat of him questioning it. Like, are you really sure? Shouldn't we just, shouldn't we just go home? So I look forward to seeing, I, I'm not a big fan of that shift because part of what I really enjoyed about, about the first season was just the, that enthusiasm and chaos of that character, which, you know, being such a clear representation of Martin's psyche. Uh, but I look forward to seeing how that develops and shifts over the first season or the second season, I should say, if that is an intentional shift or if it's just this particular episode um, and what that might say about Martin and the way that he's maturing as well. The episodes that I've seen so far, there is a little bit more of that shift and he and Sean becomes more of a trickster character, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah. The last thing I'll say is that I am madly in love with the, the the daughter who just listens to music and hates everything else. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty great. Uh, yeah, she's she's pretty great. Okay, so what wins your week in comedy then? Uh, I'll probably give it to the Parks and Rec double finale. I think that that did a great job of wrapping up an uneven season that will make it kind of memorable for me. And uh, I'm going to give it to, well, I'll get to Louie, but that's cheating. So I'll give it to Veep with an honorable mention uh, to Parks and Rec and, and, um, and Moon Boy as well. But uh, yeah, I just, I did really, really enjoyed the the biting uh, commentary on, on Silicon Valley and uh, just being... Being non apolitical but post tax at the same time, I that was you know, oh my god, meeting Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, meeting Meyer and meeting Meyer, yeah, that was that was brilliant. Uh, thing of beauty. Uh, so that that wraps us our week in comedy. We'll take a break and come back with our week in genre. We are blood butts till the end. It is written in our hearts. We will be together till the day that death takes us apart. This week in genre, we have Grimm, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, Continuum, A Minute Changes Everything, Da Vinci's Demons, The Rope of the Dead, Vikings, The Choice, Arrow, Seeing Red. I know there's a bunch of you who would be very excited to hear us talk a little bit about Arrow. <laughs> Game of Thrones, Oathkeeper, and Orphan Black, Governed by Sound Reason and True Religion. And I'll also kick things off by saying... You're probably wondering, where's the Hannibal discussion? The Hannibal discussion is in our Hannibal podcast. This is our design, which should already be in your Televerse feed, or you can find it up at Sound On Sight. Had a lot of fun, talked with Eric uh, Goldman, executive editor of IGN TV over there, and um, you guys should check it out. There's about an hour of us talking about Hannibal there. We're not going to talk about it here. Uh, so I'll just kick things off with Grimm. My review will hopefully be up soon for this one. I'm running behind because... Uh, as previously stated, Ebert Fest. But uh, I did really enjoy the, the noir touches in this episode. I really liked the introduction of Teresa. And uh, Trouble is a bit much. There's a couple moments that didn't work that were a bit over the top um, and disappointing, frankly, in this episode. The the people would call me Trouble is one of them. That's too pat. But uh, but I did really enjoy most of this episode. Um and I look, I look forward to, to whether that, to seeing what they do with that character. Now, these next stretch of uh, episodes I have not caught up with, but I look forward to, to kind of tuning in with them next week. What did you think about uh, Continuum? I mean, it changes everything. 
the third season of Continuum has been really interesting. They basically blow up the show at the end of season two in a way that I, I'm not sure how it was supposed to work. But right now it is, and so there are different versions of characters from different timelines interacting, and it's such a, a quietly subversive show. I think that um, the, the fact that we have Orphan Black and Continuum on at the same time is really good for sci-fi fans. It's also a nice coincidence that they're both Canadian shows. Um, but yeah, really interesting material that I think fans of traditional sci-fi can really latch on to. This wasn't particularly a big episode for the season thus far, um, but it did kind of move the focus away from Kira and on to some of the more supporting characters, which I think has been useful, just because that needed to be established at the very beginning, kind of what her situation was. Uh, <clears throat> and now it seems to be on an upward trajectory in terms of the action. Fair enough. Uh, how confused am I going to be when I watch the episode this week? Man, I, I'd i recommend maybe just the season two finale before so that there's some kind of foundation. But yeah, if, if, I can't imagine jumping into this right now. It, it's completely confusing. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. Uh, what did you think of Da Vinci's Demons, The Rope of the Dead? You know, I reviewed this. This is one of the first two shows that I reviewed for Sound on Sight, or ever, actually. And uh, I didn't really think much of it. And I kind of just came back to the second season um, out of loyalty to that and to stars because I'm a big fan of Spartacus and this episode actually individually was surprisingly good like very good and in a way that if stars produces stuff like this then they'll have like their action adventure brand down perfectly like this felt like a, a beginning middle end adventure story like Raiders of the Lost Ark like The Mummy something really fun like that uh, one of the central characters, Riario, just goes absolutely crazy in this trial that he has to do. So basically, Da Vinci and a couple other characters have sailed to the New World to retrieve the Book of Leaves. It's obviously an action-adventure quest that sounds fun right off the bat, hopefully. And uh, there's a lot of really fun stuff. And the best part about it so far is that even though like the two most compelling characters on the show are nowhere near Italy anymore... The stuff going on in Italy is still interesting. Like, they haven't dropped the ball with that, which I find really impressive, and I'm surprised. And I kind of am skeptical that the rest of the season will be good, but, uh, <laughs> but hopefully it will be. Well, it's nice when sometimes those things do kind of click together, and you, you want to go around to people and be like, no, there, no like, there was this re it was really good this week. It's normally just kind of fun and, you know, whatever, and I watch it and I like it, but I don't, wouldn't try to tell people they should. But every now and again, there's an episode where everything just kind of clicks, and hopefully that's a sign of things to come for the rest of the season. Yeah, there was one good episode of Black Sails, so maybe this is a stars thing. <laughs> well, what did you think of Vikings, the choice? I know people are very excited that that's coming back next year. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, again, with this and things like Arrow and Elementary and Banshee, these things, I enjoyed their first seasons perfectly fine, but the second seasons have really stepped it up in interesting ways, and Vikings has gotten much better. And the, the stuff with all of the characters, like, these people are much more clearly defined. I'm more interested in the things that they're going through. Uh, the Choice was actually a really interesting episode in terms of how it's placed. So this is the, the next to last episode of the season. The season finale will be this Thursday. And rather than like setting up a bunch of things to be addressed in the finale, 
it kind of resolves most of the season's conflicts. So I don't really know what that means for this week and what's going to happen. There's kind of two characters who are scheming a little bit against Ragnar, but that's been such like an understated part of the season so far that I can't imagine that being the focus of the finale. Um, but the best part so far, I think, is reuniting Ragnar and Athelstan uh, after a raid gone wrong in England. The, the priest got captured again and got reintegrated into his old country, so they were kind of testing his loyalties for a few episodes, but the choice, uh, which is the title of the episode, he, he chooses to come back with Ragnar to Kattegat, which is great, because that relationship is probably the best part about Vikings. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I tune in just for the finale. I've seen about two episodes of Vikings ever. Uh, mostly, I watched the the pilot, and then again, I think just at some point, my dad loves the show, so I th- I'm pretty sure just through osmosis, when I'm around, I've, I've seen more of it there, and I know that uh, they tend to do big episodes pretty well so i i will look forward to that next week let's talk about uh arrow seeing red no i still have not seen it more arrow but uh, i i do know that this was an eventful episode because twitter you know twitter it i wouldn't say it exploded but i think that's because i don't follow the right people for it to have exploded it certainly there was a, a pretty loud bang what did you what did you think i was lucky because i have such a long back catalog of episodes to watch so I didn't get to this until maybe three days after it aired and I hadn't gotten it spoiled for me which was great so massive spoiler alerts coming up it's also good that I guess I don't know much of the source material I've only read a few Green Arrow comics um, and so I had no idea that Moira Queen the, the mother of Oliver was supposed to die at any point and this is the episode in which she does get killed by Slade Wilson and it was it was weird because as I was watching Seeing Red, it just felt like a normal episode of Arrow for the most parts. Uh, it focuses mainly on, on Roy now that he's been injected with the Meta crew and is kind of just on a rampage, unable to control himself. And so some of the, the back half of the season hasn't been all that great. I think the first half was more solid, so this felt like, as I was watching it, maybe another episode that wasn't going to be that memorable but was fine. And then all of a sudden... To the Queen uh, limo gets sideswiped, and we get the, the final minutes, and Oliver's put into the same kind of choice that he had to make back on the island that we've seen in the flashback, in which he has to choose between uh, two characters to save, and this is basically what's caused Slade Wilson to want to destroy his life piece by piece, and he just stabs Mortar Queen, and I was in shock. And then the best part about that was so there was the diversion, like, oh, this is an episode about Roy, until it wasn't, which was really jarring. And then we get one final flashback after we see Moira dead, um, in which she's speaking to an old, a older, a younger version of Oliver um, about kind of this, this stress that he had getting a girl pregnant and how she is just a character who will do anything to help her kids. And so that was a really effective beats and I'm sad to see Susanna Thompson go because she's been such an enjoyable part uh, of this cast and of Arrow. Well you'll have to keep us informed as to how things progress how that shapes the rest of the season um, let's though move on to Game of Thrones Oathkeeper as I mentioned earlier the Sound On Site Game of Thrones podcast is also up in your feed uh, this t- week it was Ricky and myself and Whitney McIntosh from my TV saying to me uh, talking about Oathkeeper what what did you think of the episode, and uh, what did you think? Uh, what have you thought of the season as a whole so far? Uh, 
it's been a solid season so far. I think that at this point I was enjoying season three a little bit more so around this stage. But, uh, I mean, it's hard to to talk about these last two episodes without talking about the controversy. And there, I, I haven't listened to the podcast yet because I think it went up uh, as I was sleeping. But, man, this was clearly just a miscommunication. So I, I'm prepared to just write it off that, that it was actually Weiss and Benioff, I think, that, that blew it by not writing that correctly because clearly they intended it to be a consensual thing because Jamie and Cersei are interacting fairly fine. Well, I guess the same level of uh, fine that they usually are, which is not great, but they're able to be in the same room together, so that was interesting. I'm not enjoying Daenerys' story that much, which is not unusual since the first season. I think this is a, a problem with the books as well. But overall, I thought that the episode worked well. It's good to see um, things up north kind of coming to a head. And that last sequence I thought was really interesting because that's something that was not part of the books. And so to get that perspective of what's going on with the White Walkers was really interesting. What did you think about everything over at uh, Craster's? Which was- Bran, I think, was one of the, the characters who affected season three in a negative way, but I think that that's been going better so far. The vision that we got earlier in the season... Uh, when he touches the tree, I think allows for that foreshadowing to give his story a little bit more weight for the next few episodes. So, yeah, I guess I'm looking forward to that. It's always nice to see Hodor on the screen at the very least, even though it was really sad to see him get semi-tortured, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Well, there's. I'll, I'll just be brief and say that I enjoyed the episode. i right there with you on the controversy. We talk about that briefly on, on the Sound State uh, podcast, Game of Thrones podcast, but um, but yeah, it's it's really it's really tricky because either it changes everything or you pretend it didn't happen, and it feels kind of wrong to pretend it didn't happen, but it's way easier to just it's a whole thing. Uh, so so uh, I'll just say I enjoyed most of the episode and um, leave it to you guys to check out uh, the the podcast. Let's move on to our final show this week in genre, which is Orphan Black, governed by sound reason and true religion, and much like Grimm. Hopefully, my review for this will be up soon at Sound on Site. Uh, I'm hoping by the time you guys are hearing this, it's up or maybe up tomorrow morning. But uh, what did you think of this week's episode? And, uh, oh, man, poor Allison. Yeah. Poor Allison, but also Hooray Felix, who gets to show his ass all the time, I guess, which is fantastic. I don't know. It's been somewhat of a slow-ish start to me for Orphan Black Season 2. And I don't know if I'm necessarily engaged with the the racial and leaky part of it as of right now, but the the suspense sequence that we get in this episode as the climax with uh, with Sarah and and Kira getting away, I thought that that really worked in terms of building tension and just executing that on a technical level. Yeah, I, I was glad that they didn't stretch out the. Um the Kira part of things and the Mrs. S part of things. I like that we got answers. We got them pretty quickly. Um, I like the way they tied that in with, uh, with Mrs. S's backstory as well as the uh, project Lita. So that we I like that they do give a little bit of question, question mark, I guess to, to Mrs. S. So she's not being completely forthright with, with Sarah, but for the most part she is. And that, that worked for me, that balance. Uh, I loved seeing Julian Richings pop up. I love him on Supernatural, of course, as death. One of my favorite uh, depictions of death. 
But uh, then he's immediately gone. So I'm hoping that you, whenever they bring in an actor like this that you really recognize for a you know a, a one day shoot, I'm always hoping that they're planning to bring him back. So maybe we'll see. Maybe that's Mrs. S's next move: call up a couple old old buddies that she actually does trust, and and see what they're going to do next. But um, but yeah, that was that was you know as soon as he popped up on screen, I was like, oh good, we're gonna have a bad guy. I'm gonna really enjoy and care about. And it's like, oh, he's not a bad guy. Oh, and he's gone. Nope. Yeah, he's gone. Um, as for the rest, I have, I loved everything with Felix this week. Um, and the that was another thing I was so glad to see them not stretch out. Having Allison figure out Donnie and, and all of that, I think, was a really good move. I also like uh, like what we get with Cosima this week. I like that she's moving forward in a way that makes sense for her, where she's not she doesn't really want to be working with Leaky, but she also knows that she's dying or something. And so she does need to be proactive about that. That's good as well. And, um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, it's a bit jarring to see, to see Donnie again, transition back into b- buffoon. I think they need to decide if he's a super spy or if he's a buffoon and stick with it. Cause they've done both. Right. Uh, so, so that was a little bit of a question mark for me, but the rest of it, I did very much enjoy, uh, any other thoughts on the episode? Yeah, kind of just plug the the connection to Continuum again. I really like the the Sarah Arts relationship now because it, much like in Continuum with Kira and Carlos, he eventually found out the secret that she has, and so now Art is in the same situation. And even though I thought that they kind of struggled in the first season with that a little bit, there's certainly potential to really do something interesting with that and to use him as a good ally. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. It- that's the thing I always enjoy. I always appreciate when, and they did something they did on Grimm pretty quickly, actually. Uh, and just let everybody in on the secret because the show's just going to be better when all of our main characters are not keeping secrets from each other in the most contrived ways possible. So, yeah, that, right. I absolutely agree. What wins your week in genre? I mean, it's got to be Hannibal, I guess, but I feel like that's cheating because we do a podcast about it. So, I'll throw it to Arrow for having a big episode. And I will give it to, same thing, I would give it to Hannibal, but if we're going to eliminate that, uh, then <laughs> if we're going to eliminate that, then I guess I give it to Orphan Black, because I also have a Game of Thrones podcast, but um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I, I'll give it to Orphan Black this week, with, a, with an option on Game of Thrones, and I did, you know, also enjoy Grimm, but you know, we'll have more things to talk about uh, next week with, with genre, so let's take a break right now and come back with our week in drama. This 
week in drama, we have The Good Wife, Tying the Knot, Elementary, The Man with the Twisted Lip, Fargo, The Rooster Prince, The Americans, Marshall Eagle, and Mad Men, Field Trip. And then I'll uh, start with The Good Wife. You have not caught up with this one yet. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed this episode. I like that we got a little time off of canning uh, and focused instead uh, uh, of the Diane side of things on Alicia. The, the way that they brought back um, Dylan Baker really worked for me. I uh, enjoy Laura Benanti as well. So bringing her in for that role was a lot of fun. As much as I would have liked to see Marina Baccarin back, uh, the structure of the episode I thought worked very well. I love the way that I love the way the Good Wife plays with memory, and uh, and yes, that was very effective. Tying, you know, underlining just how horrific and terrible the Dylan Baker character is, especially when you realize he's been in on it the whole time. Uh, as well as then his his lovely fiance uh, is is I think important because it does make Alicia more culpable in in the events that go on and who she spends her time with and what her role is. I like that she's not Saint Alicia anymore, um, and I look forward to when you eventually get caught up with Good Wife because I I think it was important for us to have some time off from the the Lockhart Gardner dramatics. And so we get less time with Kalinda this week. We get less time with Diane. We get a little space from that. And I think that's important. I really like what we're getting with Finn. That's such a great new character and uh, so much potential there, especially given the conflict with him and, uh, and the Michael service character. Um, and yes, I just look forward to when you're caught up with good wife so we can talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, every once in a while I'm capable of buckling down and watching a hundred episodes of something. So, uh, <laughs> So this might have to be it. Let's uh let's move on to our next show though, which is Elementary: The Man with the Twisted Lip, which it sets up our finale quite uh quite specifically. What did you think of this episode, and uh, where are you at with the show? It's weird that we have a few episodes left. Like around this time last year, what it was, we had two episodes with Irene, and that was set up at the very end of the episode before that. But there's more. I guess there's like double the material left. Which is great because I love uh, Reese Funds as Mycroft, and I'm happy to see him back. It was, though, kind of like a, I guess, a generic cliche way of ending the episode. Ele- elementary rarely goes for those kind of, like, cliffhangers as hooks. So, in that sense, I was a little disappointed in terms of that being a narrative decision. But I loved how the episode opens with, with Sherlock at the the meeting and talking about how he has no peers and how that's the, the biggest problem in terms of him relapsing. And, yeah, every, every interaction with Mycroft is great. I, I'm enjoying seeing him use Joan to try and get whatever he wants out of Sherlock, which is still something we don't really know about, but is an interesting mystery as opposed to one that's annoying. I, I do like that we get a strong sense of of Mycroft's respect and appreciation of Joan, and, uh, you know, because it would be easy for this to just be straight up he's manipulating Holmes and I'm sure that is most of what it is but I do like that there is an understanding of of Joan's value not only by by Sherlock by the end of the episode um but by Mycroft as well and uh that that is really the strength of the series the 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 dynamic of those main characters is hugely significant to why the show works and I I like when they do kind of shine a light on that every now and again I liked the line we got from Joan when when Holmes is um apologizing when Sherlock's apologizing to her basically and she says 
you seem to you only do that when you've won and that's you know again that friendship that the two of them share is one of the most interesting and honest and respectful on television and i really appreciate it so i thought that was a, a great way to, to do that i also like that there are consequences to to jones snooping i like that she's not as stealthy as she thinks she is and um and we'll see what happens with the next. I'm also anticipating her getting herself out of that more than, you know, being saved by either of the Holmes brothers. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with the next. Next week's episode is directed by Lucy Liu. So that'll be fun. That that element. I wonder if that's a clue as to how much the character will be in it. Because uh, if she has the if she's able to focus on directing, maybe that means that we're not going to see as much of her next week. But it'll be fun to see just how long this arc is. If it's a two parter that goes into then a standalone couple final episodes, or if it really is a final like four episode arc. I'm hoping that it's a four episode arc because they handle the the Sherlock mythological characters really well. So everything that we've got with Moriarty and Mycroft has been some of the best material that Elementary has done, I would say. So having him around for the rest of the season would be a smart decision. Yeah. We'll uh, see what happens with that next, but let's talk about Fargo, the Rooster Prince. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really enjoying Fargo. Uh, this is only two episodes in. You've seen more than that, right? I've seen the first four, yes. Okay. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton is fantastic in this role. He's very different from the other Coen Brothers figure, Anton Sugar from No Country for Old Men, in that he, he loves pushing people to chaotic events, I guess, or chaotic decisions. So he's kind of just there to mess everything up, kind of like Hannibal is in Hannibal. Um, and that's been really enjoyable to watch. I think that at first I was a little skeptical on, on Martin Freeman, but that's slowly improved over the course of these two episodes. Um, it's actually the Colin Hanks character that I'm most interested to see what happens with, because it seems somewhat disconnected from the series overall so far but obviously they're, they're doing something with that and i'm sure that the design is there and i find him compelling thus far yeah I, I really have enjoyed that character um the 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 entertaining bit of this episode for me is not actually that character but adam goldberg and russell harvard coming oh God, in yeah. who are so great in that role yeah. i love i love the casting of russell harvard in that they're like why don't we make one of the characters deaf and that that provides so much great, uh, you know, it's something I talked about on the last time I was on the TV Times 3 podcast and we talked about Switched at Birth. It's so rare to see deaf characters on TV. So to have, why can't one of the, the hitmen be deaf? It's great. It gives them a lot of uh, different dynamics to play than we usually get to see on our TV. And I think Adam Goldberg is great there too. And oh man, how horrific, how terrible is the way that they kill, just drop them in a hole in the ice that you know is going to freeze over and they will drown. It's one of the best things that the the film did and the series, the TV series that's doing it really well right now is just cutting between these absolutely hilarious moments in an episode and going just straight to these horrifying sequence of violence or um, it's not even like brutality or anything like gory, I guess, but uh, it's incredibly shocking and yeah. it, it disturbs your viewing of the episode which is what they're going for obviously and it works really well yeah i also really like the opening i like the 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 music that they the opening song that they use um and the way that that uh that that bit of style i appreciate uh all the only other thing i have is that and because I, I wrote notes as i watched to make sure that i wouldn't have spoilers in them and as i was watching this episode my thought was i 
that it's interesting that they are very much not doing Marge Gunderson, and yet they're setting up that Alison Tolman character to be basically who someone who's going to grow up to become Marge Gunderson. Um, and I'm curious why they're doing that. It feels like such a straightforward connection. I would like if the character felt a little bit more her own person and less Marge-like, but I don't know if the, how much of that is just the fact that it's a female cop in this world. Maybe that's just what I'm... Maybe I'm not seeing differences that are there or will continue to show up. I will say that as the show progresses and they establish certain of the connections with that character... It was less of an issue for me. But in this episode, it was something that I was noticing. Yeah, just as a final note for me, as I was, I had seen this when it aired, and then I think my mom was watching it days later, and I could just overhear her say, that's not American Sign Language, because she <laughs> does know sign language. So I thought that that was funny. Nice, nice. Well, let's move on to our next show, which is The Americans, Marshall Eagle. Philip is having a hard time. Yeah, this was timely because I think that a few of the episodes this season have been really Elizabeth-centric, and so to to have him be the center of this one really worked at, at this point in the season. And good lord, yeah, he's he's being dragged around through the mud emotionally and psychologically. I feel so bad for Martha as well, though. Like, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes have to remind myself like how awful that situation is and how that could really just destroy somebody completely um and so it really ruins kind of the sympathy that we have for philip sometimes i think but uh i thought he was gonna kill that guy at the end i really did yeah me too i did as well i think he did too so that that was a nice little turnaround there um yeah the i thought one of the things that was really interesting this episode was that it appears that for what to our knowledge is the first time philip goes to martha when he's upset for for comfort or for um to he'd rather be there at that moment than at home with his family and uh that was interesting of course then it pivots into him playing the tape for her and continuing his his running of her basically so it's hard to know how much of that is he did he would rather be with Martha at that point and how much of that was just no he was moving to the next phase of of the plan with her but uh, that that was the first time we've seen him go and talk with Martha while he's really upset about something else. So I'll, I'll look forward to seeing how that progresses, if if we get any more of that. But no, I mean the the stuff with with Paige. I, I liked I liked the difference in approach from Elizabeth and and Philip. I liked Elizabeth's. Oh, so you want to be an adult? Here you go. Here's a mop. <laughs> This is what being an adult means. I mean, that was a less violent solution. Um, and I also like this notion of at first, it seemed like Elizabeth was going to AA meetings to help her deal with the violence of her job. Of course, it, it turns out to not be the case. But, you know, I'd like to think, thought that maybe there's a bit of that in there, too, with how she deals with everything. So it's, we, you know, it's been a few weeks since they talked about the fact that their friends were killed and their their daughter was killed. And I'm wondering how much all of that is weighing on what we're seeing as well. I'm hoping we'll get back to that later in the next couple of episodes. Do you think, what do you think about Philip saying that it's easier for Elizabeth than it is for him? I think it is, but uh, I think it's been shown to be that. 
But because um, she's always been more the true believer than him. Mm. And that doesn't mean that it is. That just means that maybe she's processing it more. Maybe she's, you know, shutting things down more. Maybe she's just not lying to herself as much as Philip is about right. what they do and why they do it and and what they're willing to do. So it's hard. But but I think that is something that has been demonstrated. Do, did you agree with that or or were you more with her? Uh, I think that I did agree with it, although it was kind of not a great thing to say it in the moment. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Still, though, it, it, you're right. Seeing the, the different reactions to what's going on with Paige was fantastic, and, and seeing how surprised Elizabeth is when Philip just escalates the whole thing and, and throws the Bible across the room. Yeah. The fact that there was no Nina or Oleg in this episode, and it was still ridiculously compelling, says... Very good things about the writers uh, for the Americans. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's close out our week in drama and our week in TV with Mad Men Field Trip. Uh, we got some time with Bobby. We Last week we spent time with uh, Sally. This time, this week we spent time with Bobby. What did you think of the field trip to the farm? He had to ruin it by trading the sandwich. Come on, you can't do that. Oh, my God. Betty's the worst. I... I'm a Betty defender, though, so uh, we can talk about that a little bit. But uh, it was good to see January Jones back, because this is the third episode, and this is the first appearance for Harry as well, actually, which was nice. But uh, I'm always interested to see how they use her character, especially since she's no longer Betty Draper, although she was called Betty Draper in this episode. Uh, And I thought that it works. You know, it's obviously Bobby's character who doesn't have anywhere near the potential that somebody like Sally does. But... um, Seeing Betty sweat about her kids not liking her, I think, is a good way to use her right now. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, it's like, why then? Why don't why don't they love me? It's like, well, maybe because you were terrible to your son today. Maybe that's why. But <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, but you know, I I don't have the problem with Betty that some others do. I just come on. She like never eats. She's always not. I mean. Yeah, she smokes and just puts her sunglasses on. Yep. Anyways, uh, the, I did like the cinematography of that. I liked the the way, you know, just the idea to send them out to the farm I thought was interesting. And that uh, uh, she decides that she's going to, you know, be a parent uh, for the day. Much like she's, you get the sense that she normally is not very involved with, with either of the kids. She Certainly. made an effort, you know. She, she offered to go to the field trip and then she was the cool mom who drank the milk as well. That's true. That was that was a nice nice little touch. Um, the rest of the episode, I oh man, Lou Avery. Ugh, ugh. It says so much about Don that he's willing to be under Lou Avery by at the, at the end of the episode. Lou Avery is just the best, and uh, <laughs> he's a really fun addition to this season so far. Man, I don't know how anybody can put up with him. Like, I, I think that Peggy's been a really bitter character in these first few episodes, but anything that has anything to do, to do with Lou makes sense because that guy's a piece of shit. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that is accurate. Um, let's see the, the rest of, of the, the office. I liked seeing like the return of the shoe situation with, uh, with, with Cooper. I liked the, just the POV for, for Don as he's returning to the office and there's all these, changes i thought that was well handled and um but also 
I guess maybe it's just been so long since I watched the finale of last season. They they seem really hung up on on what was a stupid drunken boneheaded move by Don. Is that just me? Um, yeah, I mean I went back to rewatch the, the Hershey's scene a couple times for this episode and it's it's a shame because like this is just a circumstance where being honest and true to yourself is not the right decision. And so it's one of the few moments that we've had with Don up until that point in which he drops the facade and, and the bullshit and just says something real because he's connecting with this company who actually provided a legitimate memory of one of the only happy memories he ever had throughout childhood and bad timing, wrong, wrong place, wrong time. And you figure like people would understand that. And we obviously see that Roger is fighting for him in this episode, which is great because he needs an ally like that. And it makes sense that it's Roger because Roger isn't really bogged down by that kind of petty stuff. So yeah, and I, I would agree that it does seem strange, although this is just the way that the business is run probably and there's not really room for error. We've seen Don fire people for less, I would say. That's true. Very true. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens next. What do you think of Megan? It was interesting seeing that breakup. I mean, it makes sense. Like the, the distance is kind of helping that relationship more than it's hurting. So I think that if they were together in California, that would have already exploded. Uh, but it's, it's great because there were a lot of subversive cuts. So when, when Don's being hit on by that, that Emily character at the bar and he goes up to the hotel room and it's Roger's hotel, that was another instance in which Don could have been with another girl and he wasn't. And he actually tries to make amends with Megan at the end. And I don't really see that happening. I don't see them working out uh, a way to fix their relationship. But just that he has those inclinations right now really speaks to to where his character is at as opposed to last season i think yeah definitely i would i certainly agree and we'll see we'll see how everything uh continues with that how long it's going to take before he you know how many how many opportunities to sleep with ridiculously attractive women they throw at him and how long he turns them down or if he continues to and at the end of the season he has really changed he really has changed or if it's just sort of like a waiting holding pattern for the next few weeks. It just, seemed, yeah, it just seems like it's not like on his radar at all, like that he has no interest in, in anything related to that. So he really, his marriage to his job, I think, is a, a much more important one. And establishing that and making sure that that's working seems to be his priority, which is good. Good for Mad Men. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so what wins your week in drama this week? It's definitely Mad Men. I think that this is like the best show that I've seen, so I'll be surprised if this doesn't win the week for the next five weeks. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, hmm. I did really like Mad Men. I did really like Good Wife. I did really... I, mean, I liked all of these. Um, you know, I just... I'm such a sucker for the Good Wife's use of memory, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to give it to the Good Wife this week, but definitely honorable mention to, to Mad Men Americans in Fargo. Yeah, honorable mention to the following season, too, which I think is really up there. It'll yeah. be in the top ten for the year. <laughs> for those who don't listen to the Hannibal podcast, he's sarcastic. Uh, 
I'm not. No, I'm being totally serious, okay? Totally serious. It's like the best show, guys. It's seriously <laughs> the best show. Well, a few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf with Dan Toll and of Earth2.net. Our intro and outro music was composed by Simon Howell. You can find a post up for this at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you think of the week's TV. You can also leave us a rating or review in iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. We have both an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can email us, televers at gmail.com or you can like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at Soundside TV as well as the podcast and start up conversations there. We'd love to get more conversations happening at the Facebook page. Um, and then, of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and you are? At Sean Coletti. So that's my name. And uh, so, Sean, what is our question of the week? I'm, I'm transitioning those that responsibility to you because basically I don't want to have to try to think of one every week. Okay, okay. I didn't know I was going to be doing this. Uh, off of the fly, let's see. Oh, I guess because... Um, now there's a transition for the Televerse. Um, we used to let them make Kate watch something. So if there's anything that listeners really enjoy and think ought to be covered on the Televerse, just, uh, I'll, I'll check in with whatever it is, I guess. Ah. That would be my responsibility and I'll talk about that. Make Sean watch. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Well, so what would you like to see the Televerse cover for the next few weeks? Excellent. Okay, well, let us know. Drop us a line, leave us a comment, uh, send us an email, send us a tweet, all that good stuff. Now we're, we'll take a break, let's do a clip and some music, and come back with Dan Toland of Earth2.net to talk about MASH. Do I understand that the priest of this outfit has just won a weekend with a nurse in Tokyo? It's a prayer come true. <laughs> who are you? Uh, Captain Benjamin Franklin Pierce. Who are you, Sarge? <laughs> think this star means... Your Tinkerbell? <laughs> this is Brigadier General Hammond, Chief Medical Officer of the Soul Sector. Oh, hi. <laughs> Which one here's McIntyre? Yo. You and Pierce are both under arrest. I'd like to get a second opinion on that. <laughs> you two are going to be court-martialed. In Tokyo? San Francisco? Right here's where you'll be tried, and right here's where you'll serve your time. Now, get moving. You're under arrest. Oh, and I'm afraid we can't do that, General. No. That's a good idea, though. You, yeah, I, I like do it. the same thing oh, in his sure. place. <laughs> you can't do what? Listen. What? Wait for it. Those helicopters you're about to hear are going to be filled with Canadians who went to a different party tonight. Without us, a lot of those kids are not getting home from that party. Attention. All personnel, report immediately to admitting ward and operating room. Now, General, look. Hey, you can put us in the clink after Right now, we got a job to do, and we're a little short-handed around here, and we can use all the help we can get. By the way, how are your hands? Steady? Well, uh, dirty nails. Come on, let's get ready, man. Hey, where's he going? We're all set. Forget it. He was too impressed to have you arrested. You did it again. Screwed up in reverse. I keep telling you, we gotta give up this preoccupation with keeping people alive or we'll never get out of here.
Lovers. This is Kate Kulzik, joined by Sean Coletti. And this week, we are diving into one of the the longest-running and most beloved sitcoms, certainly of uh, of quasi-recent history, uh, if not all time, and that's MASH. And here to help us with that uh, is Dan Tolan from Earth2.net. Dan, welcome back. Thank you very much for having me back. It's been too long. Yeah, well, what made you want to talk about MASH? It really has well it's two things one is quite frankly that you were kind of on twitter saying here's some shows and i said that's a good one i'll do that but um in all honesty it's a show that i very much grew up watching it's like i can't think of anybody i don't think it's anyone's favorite show but especially if you're of a certain age it's just one of those things where it's like it's like televisual wallpaper it's just always a thing that's on it was something that I, I grew up watching and actually didn't really start to appreciate till I was much older, quite frankly. But um, it's it's mesh. It's like <laughs> the longest running show in the history of the planet, which is not actually factual, factually accurate. But, um, yeah, it was just it's just a terrific, terrific show um, for when it was terrific. Well, and shockingly consistent for mm-hmm. 11 seasons obviously any show that runs 11 seasons and i would love to be proved wrong let me know mm-hmm. listeners any show that runs 11 seasons is gonna have ups and downs absolutely and it's probably gonna tail off towards the end that's especially with sitcoms that tends to happen mm-hmm. but given 11 seasons 256 episodes mm-hmm. mash is shockingly consistent it's one that i didn't have an incredibly strong background in it because i think probably because i didn't have cable until i was in high school so i couldn't be watching nick at night but even without having uh access to to it in the way that i'm sure a lot of people who grew up with cable did have access to it i still have many memories of of catching it in syndication so there must have been like i don't know wciu channel 26 u and one of those channels from when i was a kid must have played it on reruns because i i definitely was very familiar with certain eras of the show uh as you know not not the earlier part of the show but the uh, season six seven eight like that kind of span of the show i was very familiar with uh and it was actually kind of interesting to go back and and see what the show was like in its first seasons and see what it was like towards the end because it, it does have a very different feel uh, while still being the same show it's 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 an interesting show to dive into which we will in a moment here but first uh sean what was your relationship with mash quite similar to yours i would imagine i saw some episodes uh in late night runs and i don't really remember my experience with watching them because god those blocks were always so drastically different in terms of the shows that they they put on so i remember more you know like fresh print stuff but uh the stuff that i do remember i I had enjoyed seeing um i think for a long time i was quite guilty about having a barrier for older shows, so like anything like pre uh, late '80s, maybe, and so the the other big sitcom that took off after this, which was Cheers, I also mm-hmm. didn't really have much of an experience with that either. Um, but then going back to rewatch some of these, uh, I realized that I was an idiot. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to this discussion, uh, definitely. I threw this out to Twitter too, because for me, it's really interesting for any show that ran 11 season and had as significant a cast changeover as mm-hmm. as this one did at least for its main central you know like its central trio changed changes up quite a bit or central you know three or four main characters over the course of the show it's very interesting to me when people think of this show 
what is the cast that they think of? Because for most of the people, at least that I talked to on Twitter, they had a very distinct answer and it was not the same. So, so for some people, when they think MASH, they immediately think, well, everybody thinks of Al Nalda, but some people think of, uh, uh, of Trapper John and and Blake. And some people immediately go to uh, Carl Potter and BJ. And then for some people, they just think Radar. Um, so there, But there are very specific eras of the show that people sort of immediately go to, uh, emotionally maybe, if not intellectually. Uh, Dan, which era of the show do you first go to when you think of MASH? That's actually a really interesting question because and I know, I think I talked to you about this off the air, you know, obviously it really kind of can be broken down into like three or four really distinct eras. If you're going to ask me like what I like the best, it's going to be the first three years with Trapper and Henry. But if, if I like, like if you just say, Hey Dan, think of MASH. <laughs> and I just kind of close my eyes and go to that place. I really kind of probably do think of BJ and Potter just because they were on it for so long. Yeah, that's what I go to. I always go to, because it, it was one of those things where when, not for this, but, you know, not you know, shockingly recently, I was like, oh, there were people before. Like, I knew that Trevor John <laughs> was a spinoff from this show. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so I was aware of that character name. But if, it was sort of weird for me to go back and, and see the you know the episodes from earlier on unfortunately i didn't get to see as many episodes as i would have liked so i didn't get to really live with those first three seasons to the point where i felt like trapper john was such a significant character or such a memorable character he felt like oh yeah uh um hawkeye's buddy is mm-hmm. you know in the first part of the show and then later we have bj being hawkeye's buddy and because i had those memories from my childhood very fun memories of uh of watching hijinks on mash <laughs> with bj uh that felt more natural to me uh what was the case for you sean did you have a, a pairing there either trapper or um uh or, or bj that felt more natural to you with the hawkeye I would probably say I'm one of those radar people, but if you're forcing me to choose one of those two relationships, um, I would say I had more familiar familiarity with Trapper, and I probably enjoyed that more. But then again, that might be indicative of having not seen much of the later seasons. There's always that, uh, and to tie in with uh, Dan, with of course Doctor Who, which I know mm-hmm. we both have a love for. There's mm-hmm. that element of your first Doctor. Uh, sure. And so, like uh, with the show like this that does have several different significant casts, I think there's probably going to be some bias for whatever you saw first, whatever became your norm for the show. That I mean, that's definitely possible. But I, I literally cannot remember a time when this show was not on the air. Okay. You know, like I was. I mean, the show started before I was born and ended when I was a kid, and. My mother was a fan, so and even at that point, it was already in syndication. So I just kind of grew up, and it was just always on TV. And sometimes it was a Trapper episode, and sometimes it was a BJ episode, you know. Um, so I, you know, I absolutely, you know, agree with what you are saying. But in my in my circumstance, it all just kind of bleeds together for me. Fair enough. Well, and it, this know? is like <laughs> I feel like this is the uh, the Law and Order. Of the comedy world, maybe, especially, you know, if you that's go like, actually, I think that's actually a really good way of putting it. Yeah. For, for people, uh, my age, mid twenties, I think law and order is the, that show where it was just, was always on. You could just spend mm-hmm. an entire weekend. You turn around and you realize that you've watched 
20 episodes of Law and Order. Uh, sure. <laughs> I think that, you know, for MASH is, you know, there's just so much of it that you could mm-hmm. easily just sort of fall into a, 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 a well of, of MASH of MASH episodes. More than just the cast, though, I was, I, I guess, heartened to see how, how different the different eras of the show are just comedically because mm-hmm. th- those earlier seasons. And I also blame Futurama for this. Anybody else have trouble watching MASH after IHOC from Futurama? <laughs> because those early episodes of, of you know, season one and, and one, two, three, I was I enjoyed them. I thought they were a lot of fun. But, oh, man, was I thinking of IHOC with the switch on his back between maudlin and comedic. Uh, <laughs> and, and whereas when you get a little bit later, it feels more more organic to me the 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 shifts in tone it felt like a just a darker more consistently grim kind of show mm-hmm. uh before then then getting lighter towards the end again uh is there a tone to the show that you guys feel like works more for you i think when it got a little heavier kind of after the transition from the, once henry's gone I, I think that played to my uh preferences in sitcoms Personally, it's weird because I'm perpetually dissatisfied. So the more dramatic a sitcom is, the better I like it. And the more comedic a drama is, the more I like it. Um, But I think when there was the better mix of that, uh, probably around around like seasons three, four and five, uh, I tended to enjoy that tone most. Yeah, I find a lot of it has to do with the mood that I'm in, because the first like those first three years, it was much more of an antic comedy with, you know, some dramatic elements in it, but it was much more in the vein of what the movie had been, you know. Um, so it was, it was much more farcical and much much just more, much more interested in, in being funny. Whereas after that, they really did kind of get that mix a little better, you know, that mix between we can be serious and we can tell jokes that breaks the tension, but it doesn't actually undercut the seriousness of the situation that we're in. As opposed to, like, again, like the last three or four years where it was just a case of, War is terrible, and I really mean it. And you can tell I'm serious because I'm yelling at you right now. Where are you going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's there's always a danger of of that, especially when when you're on for eleven seasons. At a certain point, you run out of stories to tell, and you run Absolutely. out of n- new jokes to tell. And changing up your your cast and the dynamics can help with that. But at a certain point, you know, there's only so many ways to be funny about War as Hell. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, one of the things that I was thinking of was the the final season of Blackadder. There, there's. I think the parts of the show that worked the best for me, some of the episodes I enjoyed the most, uh, were ones that were just like, like dreams. For example, I'm watching this episode and it's just kind of horrible. Uh, there's, there's, there's a couple comedic moments, but for the most part, it's just this very darkly comic thing. You're watching these people uh, doing their best to hold hold their sanity together, and even just the finale when we get that. That story with with uh, Hawkeye and the baby, it's just horrible. It's horrifying. That is, yeah, I mean, that, that is a heartbreaking story. But the uh, the unfortunate part of that episode is that story actually ends about halfway through. And after that, we're just left with, you know, an hour of nothing. Just yeah. everybody saying goodbye to each other and just ridiculousness. That is, of course, goodbye, farewell, and amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amen, the, the the most watched episode of non-sports programming in U.S. TV history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, what is it? It's 125 million viewers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, but uh, what people don't talk about with that, they talk about it being uh, the most watched television episode. That is a cheat. It is two and a half hours long. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I guess, you know, I mean, I, I'm one who defends the Lord of the Rings ending uh, mm-hmm. because it's the end of a nine hour story. This is a 256 episode story. So I guess I can't really argue with them taking their time about the about the ending. But the more memorable finales for me are, are ones like, uh, I th- you know, probably their most famous episode, even more than Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, is Abyssinia Henry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was one that, that skirted that line incredibly well between, well, it partially had to do with the Henry character, of course, who in that episode didn't want to make a big fuss about the farewell with Radar especially and trying not to make it too serious and maintaining that comedic element really well. Um, but yeah, that, that I thought that worked much better than some of the other finales. Yeah, I mean, just as an episode, obviously, it's absolutely terrific anyway. But it it says goodbye to that character in a very, very, very effective, even if even without the tag at the end. You know, if it had just gone to black after he after Henry leaves, it's still a very effective farewell to that character, you know, where especially, you know, when, when he and Radar are getting very emotional at each other. And then, of course, you do get that gut punch at the very end, which is just shocking. It's as effective now as it was then uh mm-hmm. it's it's incredibly i mean and, and we've seen it's easy to get jaded with tv you feel like you've seen everything and i've seen we've seen this happen on other shows since but that does not change how effective it is in that moment that's down to the performances and that's down to the direction uh i, I don't even want to say it because i feel like there's a generation of tv viewers who won't know what we're talking about mm-hmm. and if they don't you should watch some mash and w- then watch the third season finale and have a fantastic experience with mm-hmm. you know with what the the show managed to create there because uh, it's it's incredibly effective it's an incredibly effective. It's just the ultimate war is hell moment that didn't it didn't resort to again just Hawkeye yelling at at the at the camera. It doesn't underline it. It mm-hmm. lets you feel the moment, and then it and it, then it ends. And then viewers have uh, a summer to process, mm-hmm. and then you come back, and the show is the show. Exactly. There there are many things that I greatly enjoy about the show, and we'll talk about many of those but I, I i have to get my nitpicks in here and mm-hmm. it was difficult to watch a lot of this mm-hmm. as a woman looking at the <laughs> representation of the women on the show and it, it does improve it improves so much but especially in those early years man when everybody's mm-hmm. just like i'm just gonna grab uh major Hulahan and just kiss her because i can i get to do that because i'm a man and i have a penis so that means i can just grab people and assault them uh, and and she's usually down for it. Apparently, she's all like, "Yay!" Uh, there, there. And if that was the only, if there was just like a couple moments of that, you could chalk it up to the time. And I think you do need to chalk it up to the time. But the amount of uh, disinterest in many of the female characters for quite a while is is frustrating. And even just until they start developing that character. You know, the, what they give Loretta Swit to work with as Houlihan for the first several seasons, and I would say also Larry Linville as Frank, is just mm-hmm. obnoxious. Those characters really do not work for me in the first couple seasons. Uh, was that a stumbling block for either of you? It's definitely something that I noticed, and you're right that it does improve a little bit, but even something like the pilot, kind of one of the things that that story revolves around is having, you know, an attractive nurse as a prize for the the game that they're playing which it's i don't know i feel like we're more conscious of this kind of stuff now and i wouldn't want to excuse it for it 
being of a different generation, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think that. I think the the silver line there is that it did improve. Yeah, I mean, again, especially with with those those very early seasons, you can say, well, it's a show that you know it was made forty years ago and was actually set twenty years before that, and you know it's a different time about a different time. But it it really you cannot walk away from it and say, wow, these guys are assholes. You know, um, there's just the way that that the female characters are treated. Margaret's, you know, Margaret specifically, but you know, Dish in that episode that you're that you're talking about there. It's just, it, you know, they're basically property and they're content to be treated that way. And it's very hard to watch that now. Even just they named the hot nurse Dish. Yeah, and she's totally and she's down with that. She's yeah. totally down with being called that. Yep. You know, and, and to kind of get also to get to your other point, I mean, Frank and Hot Lips, I mean, at least again, early on, are just cartoon characters, you know, in a show that's not, you know, at this point being especially realistic anyway. But it it is very difficult to, to watch Frank and Margaret do their thing without just rolling your eyes half the time. You know, there's no way that Frank would be, you know, a major in, in second command. Of, of an army unit in, 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 in any kind of real life situation. Honestly, he felt more like a Colonel Clink kind of character it, yeah. it, because he is so over the top and, and slimy. And they, and that's something that I noticed a shift in by season four. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe that's because of the difference between, you know, different kind of command. So that brings out different things in the, in the characters. I, I enjoy Potter a lot more. I think, Henry Morgan brings a very different feel to the show as well. But even just having, regardless of who was playing that that character, having a more competent boss basically made mm-hmm. a big difference in in how the underlings behaved. And I think you know even very early on, you feel like uh, Trapper John, but especially Hawkeye, is a very interesting and nuanced character. And mm-hmm. then you're con- and he's also so incredibly likable. He's, he, you're supposed to be a hundred percent with him. And so when you have some of these troubling, you know, things that he's saying and doing. And when you're contrasting him with the so much less interesting uh, villains for him, I guess, that that is that is frustrating. By the time they give Houlihan a backstory and a family and uh, in a relationship with her nurses, I really enjoyed, for example, the episode that's just about the relationship between Houlihan and the nurses. It works really well. And I, so I'm watching the show going, OK, this this is great. This dynamic is great. You guys gave the character this episode. How then do you go back to basically having only one woman that you're mm-hmm. interested in spending any time with? Yeah, I mean, that is that's a very difficult road to go down, quite honestly. I mean, you can say, well, realistically, you know, in the 50s, this is what a unit would look like. But, I mean, there's yeah, this base is bloated with nurses. There is no reason not to have more prominent female characters. The, the women are there. They just all their stories and their stories are happening when they, ch- but they're just all happening off screen. So it's unfortunately, that was one of the elements that, that did bother me. Did you guys have any similar uh, troubles you know, with, with different elements of the show? Surprisingly, no. And not to get too political, but I think I have a natural skepticism whenever it comes to things military related and how that aspect is portrayed, but they handled it with a lot of care. Um, like, something like enlisted which is on right now or will hopefully mm. be on for a little while longer but God um, willing. you you got to do something like that really intelligently otherwise you're alienating a good portion of the audience and i, I was 
very pleasantly surprised to not really have any issues there because there are so many divergent voices that kind of address pretty much every aspect of it without it being insulting, I think. Yeah, one of the things that I, I, I like about MASH so much is that at no point is the army presented as anything other than a very flawed system. You know, when something, you know, goes wrong, our heroes are there to kind of call call it on it. But at the same time, they're not this horrible, evil boogeyman either. It's just a big, enormous system that really doesn't work very efficiently. And that's where a lot of the humor comes from, and it's also where a lot of the storylines manage to come from. So that aspect of it, I think, works really well. And I also find that one of the things that the show is was very, I think, brave to a certain extent is that I know, Kate, you had just said that Hawkeye was very likable and we're always supposed to, to like him, but there he was not always a very likable character at all. And I think that the show was very capable of saying that, you know, Hawkeye's being kind of a jerk in this episode. Yeah, he, but he's always understand, you always understand where he's coming from, and maybe mm-hmm. that's what it is. Exactly. But one of the issues that I have with the cast, and this actually has a lot to do with the, the change in tone over the years, is that the cast was kind of populated in such a way that we're going to be making this really antic comedy that, you know, pokes, you know, you know, is as close to the movie as you could realistically do on TV in 1972. And so when the, 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 the tone of the show changes so that it becomes much more dramatic you have certain actors like Jamie Farr and quite honestly, in my opinion, Loretta Swit that aren't really always up to that. You know, you've got characters that just kind of shriek and, and over, over emote, which is fine when you're, when you're this kind of wacky madcap comedy, but doesn't really work very well when you're trying to get a, a capital M message across. I think that's a natural thing that will occur with such a large cast that, in a series that has to do a couple different things tonally a lot of the time, some will be better at either the comedic or the dramatic parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, there are some noticeable, um, I don't want to say flaws, but but certain people definitely do it, the comedy better on MASH. And I think that, um, that Alan Alda is probably the, the one who manages to do both really well with regularity and yeah you mentioned that that he kind of didn't start out as the most likable character but as the seasons progressed and when we get to to seasons three and four i feel like he was kind of the conduit for looking at that and could kind of elevate certain episodes that might not have handled some of those beats as well as they could have well you mentioned jamie farr and i think that that is a significant uh, element. When you look at that performance, it's so incredibly broad mm-hmm. for so much of the series. But then I watched one of the earlier episodes. Uh, I don't remember which one it is, but the one where he's got the bandana. Yes. And, and, and that performance is, you know, making him so much more on edge, so much angrier, so much more messed up, frankly. Mm-hmm. That that really worked for me. That moment really works in that in that episode. And that performance really works. But then they just decide they're gonna go hugely big with that performance and really broad with that character. And all of a sudden, it doesn't. You know, you lose that specificity that I, I was seeing in this this person's connection to it, his home is is this bandana, and he's lost so much and he's seen so much, but that's all he has to hold on to. Like. You know, there are moments there where I feel like that character and that performance could have been way more interesting, 
But then again, I, I don't think you sustain that for 11 seasons. And it's notable that, that uh, Klinger is one of the few characters that actually is in all 11 seasons. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also true that, I mean, a character like that is very difficult to write for anyway. Where, again, that episode that you're talking about where he's about to throw a live grenade at, at Frank Burns. And then a couple of episodes later, he's standing guard dressed as Carmen Miranda. You know, I mean, that's yeah. that's, you know, it's not always easy to, you know, to know how to treat, you know, because, of course, you don't know that he's going to become a very major character later on down the road. You know, at this point, he's just the crazy guy, you know, so it can be hard to, to kind of knowing what what comes later to go back and watch those really early ones and, and just kind of see that they're still figuring things out themselves. Well, do we have any uh, performances? We've already talked a bit about Alan Alda. I do think he's fantastic in this. It's uh, I mean, it's very much mashes the Alan Alda show for the most part, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's a strong uh, cast. They're able to get, you know, there's there's a lot of you, you, you don't get 11 seasons out of one character. But that being said, when I think about MASH, I always immediately go to to Hawkeye as representative of what the show is. And Alan Alda, I mean, he was such a strong creative force for much of the show as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have any thoughts on that performance or, or that character? I would point to Hawkeye, the episode, as just the the quintessential take on that. That is probably my favorite episode. It is so interesting to see him kind of just spend 25 minutes talking by himself he obviously has other characters that he's interacting with but it's just one really long monologue and it mm-hmm. hits like every single beat of that character from the kind of inane comedy to the much more serious aspects including some of the issues that he has with his own job um and that that to me was the standout performance and i think i, I agree whenever i think about this he's the one that Hawkeye is what everything revolves around, and, and that was the biggest highlight to me as an episode. Yeah, I mean, Alan Alda, obviously this show doesn't work at all without Alan Alda. He, um, like, I mean, like, like, like you said, he just, he's able to do all of it. You know, he's very funny. You know, he's a very, very funny actor, but he's also incredibly capable of being very under, of you know underplaying things and being very nuanced and and really bringing that dramatic side out of an absurd situation um and i mean again it really did become the alan alda show i mean he you know towards the end he was writing and directing it so um i mean clearly he's a very intelligent and very talented man who's able to fashion this this character out of what started off very different on the page and really turned him into a very three-dimensional person. I absolutely agree. And um, <laughs> it's, it's always fun to think of uh, some, some of the classic shows or the, the shows that have lived in the public consciousness, the way that a show like MASH has, and then imagine how, if you could recast it, I, I literally cannot imagine another person mm-hmm. in that role. And that, that shows what a creation he is. The other one that for me is quintessential for MASH is as actually Gary Berghoff as Radar. Mm, yeah. It's so weird for me that there are three seasons of the show he's not on because that just feels like wrong. And the fact is those are the really the three seasons that you can pretty safely skip. And I don't think it's necessarily just because he's not on it, but he's just such a – I mean he's the heart of the show. He, he's At one point – He's sniffing Houlihan's undergarments, and he somehow is adorable. <laughs> How? Because he is just this this goofy kid, 
who is he's he's you know he's nervous and he's shy and he's completely uh, he's like the most unworldly person that you will ever see in your life. He's also you know? really good at his job. He's also well he's excellent at his job obviously. And he's devoted to his job and he's devoted to his CEO whether that be you know whether that be Henry whether that be Potter. And and for that reason you cannot help but love this kid. Could not agree more and I think that the the relationship between Radar and Henry in the first 3 seasons is maybe my favorite relationship on the show in general and Radar is a big portion. Obviously the chemistry there is fantastic but like like what you said he's uh, superb at his job and Berghoff has just fantastic timing, comedic timing. So nothing but and, praise there. Yeah. And the only, the only major character to, or the only major actor to take his role from the movie over to the TV show. Cause that's, you know, when you go back, if you, I mean, have, have either of you watched the movie? I have not. You need to fix no. that. <laughs> you do. I'm you aware. I'm aware. That. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Robert yeah. Altman. So, that, and I like the show. So it's absolutely terrific. And, and, you know, you know, Donald Sutherland's wonderful. Ellie Gould is wonderful. It's just a terrific, terrific movie. But Gary Berghoff, in that movie, you can see the seeds of Raider. He's a little bit more savvy in the movie than he would be in the TV show. But, um, you, I mean, it's just, it's just astounding to just kind of see him kind of create that character in the original film and then bring it to this, you know, 20, you know, 22 minute TV show and just, just, just kind of get to explore him in, in, in that, in that regard. And it's absolutely just wonderful to watch him work. The other character that I mean, the only other main character we haven't really touched on is uh, David Ogden Steers mm-hmm. as uh, um, Winchester. And I think the, he's basically there to fill the Frank role, but I think what they do that's very smart. And they, they had started fixing Frank in his last couple of seasons. By the time uh, he, he's in his final seasons, he's a much more interesting character, at least for me. But mm-hmm. the, the big change that they make is that Winchester may be a prat and he may be incredibly unlikable in general, but he's really damn good at his job in a way that Frank isn't and that's so important. Well, it's kind of he basically it's it's the exact same reason that, you know, Hawkeye wasn't arrested halfway through episode 1. You know, he's he's a gigantic jerk. You cannot stand to be around him, but he's really really good at being a surgeon. And that's what kind of keeps him afloat. That's what you know, that's that's what makes us even root for him, especially as the character, you know, progresses and we see these little cracks in his armor we see that there is a person underneath this colossal asshole that you know that 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 stayers really does bring to life very very effectively because again he could have been a, a, another cartoon character and he's really not yeah do we have any other thoughts on the characters or shall we move on uh just quickly some favorite episodes i want i, I wish potter was my grandpa isn't he great i love i love harry morgan i was uh <laughs> no. I mean, and, and one of these days, I'm sure we'll eventually do uh, Dragnet on the DVD shelf. But I, I'm a big fan of him on that as well. That shows, that's a show that works more for me than it than it should if mm-hmm. you, on paper. And a big part of that is is Harry Morgan. So so when you know, I just have this af- strong affinity for the character, probably just from watching mostly his episodes in mm-hmm. reruns as opposed to 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 Harry Henry's. Mm-hmm. And um, but no, I absolutely yeah, he's. You know, he's got this horse. I mean, come on, <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> he is. He's terrific. Uh, do we have any uh, f- uh, favorite episodes that we want to specifically mention? This is a show that had a format, but it also 
as part of that did like almost every season there's a, a couple of episodes that break from that and do something more experimental and, and different mm-hmm. uh did you guys have episodes, the episodes that you remember the most are they the ones that fall into the the routine or are they the ones that break the mold probably for me um the ones that break the molds stand out more so and i guess i, I might hesitate to say that they're my favorite but they're the ones that come to mind quickest and i mentioned hawkeye already and that was just such a fabulous episode uh some of my other ones the late captain pierce also from season four i thought really ran that premise well and uh addressed some issues i think that uh hawkeye sometimes has to deal with in terms of how committed he is to what he's doing and how easy it is to become disenchanted with the job Mm. Yeah, I mean, another episode from season four is uh, that's absolutely terrific is the interview, uh, which completely just throws the mold out. You know, it's it's just a, you know, set up. It's basically an old Edward R. Murrow piece where, you know, you know, so, you know, it's a documentary maker and they bring their camera in and they interview everybody. And it's a very effective um, way of looking at this show from a different point of view than, than we're used to at this point. Um, but to say, you know, like, are these my favorite? I mean, they're excellent and they're probably are. I mean, like Sean says, they're probably the ones that you think of first when you, you know, start to think of episodes. But I, I really do tend to find that it's, it's the, the funny episodes that, that I tend to gravitate towards. Uh, one of my favorites is actually five o'clock Charlie from, um, Season two. And it's just it's all it is. It's just, you know, the North Koreans have a bomber that that, you know, tries to, you know, blow up his ammo dump outside the 4077. He comes every day at the exact same time. He misses every day and it just becomes an event. They there's a pool you know, about how far away is he going to get from the ammo dump. They all come out. They bring lawn chairs. They bring they bring picnics. They bring, you know, it's it's, it's a very, very, very funny episode. Um, but it's completely it's MASH 101. Well, and, you know, this is a show, like I said earlier, that is shockingly consistent with the uh, with the the hijinks episodes mm-hmm. where they're they're, you know, they have a pool and they're they're betting on the thing. And, like you know, these are just pretty straightforward. And then they try to pull a scheme and do they get caught or do they not? But but they're they're good at it. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a consistency to to the fun, like they capture fun on this show in a way that works really well and when the show's at its best it's when it's able to contrast that with you know the undercutting and that's a perfect example is Abyssinia Henry but there are many mm-hmm. episodes where you know the the reason that you you embrace the 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 whimsy or the uh the shenaniganry of, <laughs> of the characters is because you know this is all they have to break up what else is going on so when they're able to contrast it without getting too deep into the, the, to the maudlin switch side of the switch on the back of the IHOC. Um, mm-hmm. th- that's, that's when the show is at its most satisfying, I would say comedically, uh, as far as dramatically, I mean, the, the dreams is one of the ones that stands out to me. I love mm-hmm. the construction of that one. It's just each of the characters, we see a dream from them. And I really enjoy specifically in that, that until you get to the last dream, which is Hawkeye's, nobody speaks in their own dreams. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a long long sections of this episode are basically a silent film. And and getting that glimpse into each of these people's experiences is really affecting and and effective 
mm-hmm. both spellings. Uh, and, and and so to then have, by the time you get to the end and they break that rule and they do have uh, Hawkeye speak in his dream, it's it's very powerful. And, it, you know, it, it it's another one of those ones where there's some funny things here and there, but for the most part, it's just dead serious. Mm-hmm. And it really works. So, I mean, if, if you're okay not laughing for a week, you know, <laughs> next week they'll get into shenanigans again. But this week... We're gonna actually look at some of the trauma these people are experiencing. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the really, really, really effective uh, first season episodes is um, sometimes you hear the bullet, which you know starts off as a very typical you know, you know, we're going to you know get drunk and have sex with nurses type of type of episode, and then Hawkeye loses one of his best friends on the operating table, and it turns into a very different different episode, and even Henry. Henry gets to be the one with words of wisdom that week, which is awesome for that character. So, you know, you'd never get the feeling like this is ever going to be a good situation that they're in. And like and like you just said, Kate, this is basically, you know, all of the all of the the shenanigans that in, in goings on are just there to distract them from from this hellish situation that, that they found themselves in. Um, and that and that really carries through very well. Well, we've already got, we've only barely scratched the surface, but there's 11 seasons, guys. So, I mean, we were only ever going to scratch the surface, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, do we have any final thoughts on, on MASH, on its role in TV, the TV landscape? Is this, an, is this an overly forgotten show at this point in TV history? That's a really interesting question because, I mean, like, I think I said earlier that it was basically wallpaper for 30 years. It was always on. It was Always, I mean, at some point there was a channel showing, you know, a, a two-hour block of, of episodes because there's so many of them. Um, and I think you're right. I think it's completely fallen off the radar in the last ten years or so. Um, has it forgotten? It may very well be, uh, and that's a shame because it was it was such a uh, excellent excellent show. That's so strange. The idea that something as watched and loved as this was in its time could be considered forgotten but i think it's a useful question to ask because mm-hmm. there's probably an argument that sure yeah absolutely and especially now that um a lot of critics have been promoting the past decade or so referring to that as the golden age of television mm-hmm. um and so more of the critical focus has been on shows in that era you know since the sopranos um that such stuff like this will be forgotten by a lot of new viewers i guess who haven't had it passed down to them so these these episodes obviously are never going to go out of syndication or anything they'll always be on repeat but if more critics or more parents maybe don't introduce this to the younger generation then Absolutely, it's in danger of being forgotten if it's not already getting there right now. Well, there's 256 episodes, like I've said several times here, and that while there are so many interesting and and experimental and gr- like there's an episode all in first person. There's that episode, the interview, like you said, that's in black and white. There's episodes that uh, are completely from different ca- other characters' perspectives or told non-linearly. There's all sorts of different kinds of of interesting experimental episodes especially for the time but it's then it's sandwiched around 200 episodes 230 episodes of very straightforward 
sitcom. And so for, for viewers who are used to increasingly, you know, 13 episode seasons, 10 episode seasons, if they're going to go back and watch a random episode of MASH, they're probably going to have an entertaining episode. Like I said, it's very consistent, but they're less likely to, I could see how people would watch the show and feel like they've seen two or three episodes. Oh, that's just what the show is. And not realize all the different things it could be. And also, I do want to make sure I don't leave this segment without saying uh, two things. First of all, that theme song. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, this it, other than the gender representations, this show is surprisingly not dated. And uh, even the surgery scenes, all of that, I really did not feel like it was dated. Maybe that's because it's set 20 years earlier than when it was made. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's part of it. But I was very surprised how... Other again, other than the gender representations, mm -hmm. and and the fact that the cast is very very white, which it would have been theoretically in uh, for doctors in Korea at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, it really does feel like it's not particularly dated for me. Yeah, it's also a very literate show. Um, it's kind of almost like like the Sorkin effect. Nobody talks the way these characters talk. You know, like everybody talks like they've, you know, been written by writers who agonized for hours over every word and made sure that the, the rhythm was right. And, the, you know, but because of that, which I mean, and that can be off putting. And I know that that is off putting to some people. But because of that, it means that it, it is a very intelligent, um, very, you know, intelligence to the scripts that really does make it work very well. Um, and I know that, I mean, to, to Sean's point, you know, he's absolutely right that, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, we were in the golden age and it's all primarily drama. And I know that, you know, a lot of, I, I have heard a lot of, of critics that kind of sniff at, oh, it's a sitcom. Oh, we don't need to, you know, it, it, A, it was popular and B, it's, it's a sitcom. And so it, it, I think that there is kind of a, a tendency to to kind of just downplay its importance. Um, so I, I I would absolutely just beg people that 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 haven't given the show a shot to do so. I mean, again, it's it's on somewhere, and it's not going to just be one episode. It's going to be two or two or four. Um, and just 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 see that it's a very intelligent show that's got a lot to say. Yeah, and that that's an excellent point. I think it's a good place to leave it. And I was I agree with you, Dan. If you haven't seen any Mash, if you know, especially for our younger listeners out there, check it out. Put yourself into. I mean, I haven't looked it up, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's is it Hulu or Netflix or or even YouTube. You can find many episodes on sites like that. Uh, just uh, you know, start a, a a spiral, and you'll be surprised how long. <laughs> You know, you'll turn around and it's been several hours, assuming you're, you know, on a Saturday or something. Uh, <laughs> but but dive into the show, get a sense of 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 its progression and so these some these different, very at least for me, very memorable, especially TV sitcom, but even just straight up TV characters. Mm -hmm. uh, for generations, you know, Hawkeye Pierce is a significant character. Radar is a significant character. Some of these other people, depending on who you talk to, they're significant characters, and it's definitely a show. That uh, that I, I just I think deserves to be more praised. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you, Dan, so much for coming back uh, on the Televerse. Where can our listeners find your work online? Well, um, I um, primarily pro uh, podcast with Earth Two dot net. Um, you know, including Earth Two dot the show. We've just finished up Bigger on the Inside, which you know, one Sniff. tier. 
One tier. And uh, we are about to get started on a show called The Edge of Forever. The pilot is already out where we are going to be looking at Star Trek from start to finish. I'm going to I'm looking forward to playing along with that. It's been too long. I hope so. Hope, hope, hope to hope to hear your hope, uh, hope to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. Well, uh, Dan, thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. <laughs>